Welcome to episode two of the Wealth Amplifier podcast. I guess the uh, biggest news we have is we actually have a name for our podcast now, the Wealth Amplifier. Uh, by way of introduction, I'm Matt Liebman. Aaron Marks is on the pod. Say hi, Aaron. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And Patrick Swift is here as well. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. So as a reminder, this podcast, what we're trying to do, this is a little different for any of you that have watched our videos, our market commentaries. This is less of a time-sensitive market commentary and more the idea is to amplify something, whether that's an idea, a topic, or a person. Uh, before we dive into today's episode, let's remember again that nothing we're discussing today should be taken as legal, tax, or investment advice. It's just a conversation. So with that, let's jump into episode two. And the topic of episode two is effectively, does anyone know anything? Does anybody know anything? Whether that is, and we're talking mostly about the investment world, whether that is the pundits you see on TV, the fund managers, advisors like us, or that man or woman you meet at a cocktail party that has an opinion. Does anybody really know anything? So with that, why don't we uh, kick off the conversation here? And uh, uh, Aaron, does anyone know anything? In my mind, overconfidence kills. So even if you do think you know everything, you have to be aware that maybe you don't. And maybe there are other answers. So, so that's my quick uh, response to does anyone know everything? And how this started is, you know, internally in the office, we're talking about uh, – this this pundit, this analyst, here's what they think. And well, the other person thinks the opposite. Well, how, how could they both be right? Somebody will be right, of course. But it's just that does, does anyone really know anything? And what can we do um, for ourselves, for clients, for families, if really nobody does know anything? And I guess, uh, uh, you know, starting with sort of the press and the pundits, and I'll put those in a somewhat similar category because a lot of times the guests on press financial shows are nominally pundits. Uh, uh, Pat, how much value do you get out of the various networks when you're watching financial news or reading the financial press? Uh, to be 100% honest, it, it's it's a big zero. Uh, I pay attention to virtually, uh, particularly the, the the TV media, financial media, I pay almost no attention to even... Uh, in our days of growing up, there there often would be advisors in our realm that would keep Bloomberg or CNBC on in the background, and um, I was never one of those, and still still am not. Um, so no, you know, I, I think I was one of those. Uh, I think since moving over to our new firm, I, I I think I've turned the TV on once or twice, but I you know I found it a good source potentially of information, sort of breaking news, just to know what's going on. And then the other thing is, and this is where it gets a little tricky, right? Uh, it, in some ways, it's entertainment. And, and the uh, the comparison I always use is, uh, as, as an NBA fan is sort of watching Stephen A. Smith break down the NBA. It's entertaining. I wouldn't hire him to coach my team, though, if I, own, if I owned a team. And, and too often in the financial media, you have guys on there, women on there, that truly manage money and are actually giving advice or, or portfolio management advice. And that's when it crosses over from entertainment to like, this is real. And that's where I think it can be a little problematic. So my, my question to you guys, the everyone knows the uh, 
the eternal optimist, the, the the person that's the bear all the time since the day they were born to the day they die, the stock market's going down. Do you think they really in their heart believe that? Or are they just doing it to sell their 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 firm, their pitch, their their, their product? Yeah, it's a good one. I think it depends on. Yeah, it depends on who they are. Uh, I think there. I think there's maybe two. You could split that into two. If you're going to take bears across the board, you're going to be people who are always bearish on uh, on U.S. stocks or stocks in general. It's I think people who are probably pessimistic by by nature for whatever reason goes back to our behavioral conversation around an investment and financial personality. Some people are are just eternally pessimistic. It seems. Uh, and then there are others that are, where they may be a little more sales oriented, where they, uh, that's oftentimes the people that you see on financial news TV, which is a, a big reason why I don't ro- watch is they represent some strategy. They represent some fun. They represent some idea and, uh, their, their opinions have to have to sell that idea. Um, so I think you can split it into two camps, neither of which I typically agree with though. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And I do think a lot of times what you see, particularly on the bearish side, is and you see this on the bullish side, but it's maybe a little more nuanced and harder to find. Is when someone is right on some sort of big call. Because I think, whereas I believe some people know something, to, to go back to the original conversation, what I don't believe though is that anyone can consistently, effectively predict the future. You know, the, the, uh, in, in any realm, really. You know, we, we don't know exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. It's hard enough just sort of dealing with today um, and digesting yesterday. But with the negative ones, those that like, let's say, called the 2008 financial crash or the dot-com bust in 2000, I find a lot of times those people are almost hammers always looking for the negative nail now. They, they got one right, and then they miss this whole like 14-year bull market since then because they keep calling the next de- debacle. Uh, and it's like, good, you made one right call. And and it's not all that different on the on the bullish side. There are people that are always, you know, let's say, I, I, you know, Aaron, you and I were at a conference last year. Uh, great timing. Uh, we're every, great panel. I mean, the, the people there were amazing, but they were all trumpeting growth and innovation, basically in different forms. And what happened? Growth and innovation dropped, I don't know, 70, 80 percent, depending on the uh, uh, on the index since then. And, and now it's like, if you had been in that conference and talked about dividend stocks, you would have been chased out of the room. And now that's all anybody's talking about. So I, I think, Aaron, to your point, that long-winded answer, I think everybody to a degree has beliefs, but also sort of trumpets their playbook. You you mentioned uh, pre-call, but also on the call, the, the kind of the Stephen A. Smith side and the difference between sports and, and investment world. I think at one time you, you mentioned, no matter how... Uh, outlandish of an idea or call or prediction somebody on ESPN might have, you're probably not hiring them to do anything for you. (laughs) I'm not hiring Stephen A. Smith to to, to coach my fantasy basketball team or or the Sixers aren't hiring him for uh, the head coaching position. But as you did mention on on the investment uh, news, People are pitching their their business, and it can be maybe dangerous isn't the right word, but you know you're drawing people into a particular idea, and maybe it's the wrong idea for that person, but they sell well, they look good, they play the part, and it does have an impact on people's lives. That's that's where I'll I'll be a little more hardlined. I think Aaron, you're you're putting it in a very friendly way. That's what I find so egregious about the pervasiveness of the financial news media, not, not everybody, because obviously there's important news that needs to be covered, but that's exactly it. If you compare the outrageous calls, the outlandish stuff that you see 
um, in sports media and even political media where they're not really affecting day-to-day Americans, day-to-day citizens, although mentally they might be. Uh, when it comes to the financial stuff, Jim Cramer's mad money, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, people can genuinely make awful financial decisions based on stuff that they're seeing on on the news, which is part of the reason why I just it, it like almost disgusts me. And obviously, that's a bit of my own bias since we're advisors and our job is to help people make the right financial decisions. So, um, yeah, I agree with you. Well said. So I think sort of pivoting away from the pundits and the press, and we've talked a little bit about uh, managers. Let's put that on the side for a minute because I want to talk about indexation a, a little bit later. But most people that may be listening to this, they may hear some of the uh, uh, wizardry, wizardry, if you will, from a cocktail party, from a conversation. Uh, you know what? What uh, I, I heard a hedge fund manager once called the brother-in-law portfolio—the thing your brother-in-law told you about at Thanksgiving. You know, so how much wisdom uh, is there in the day-to-day conversations with, with everyday people, and uh, and should people just tune out everything? You know, as far as that goes. I have my thoughts, but I'm curious for yours. Patrick, go ahead. Maybe this is a recency bias, um, but personally, I had a lot of good friends who are still my friends, by the way. I'll preface it that way, <laughs> who were extremely knowledgeable um, in the crypto space in recent years. Um, and there still are. It's not like that knowledge vanished or vanquished and isn't uh, relevant anymore. But I think that's it's a good um, example of of what we're talking about today. Is they knew the most out of the people that I knew. They knew more than I did, certainly, even though I'm a financial person uh, with regard to mechanics and, and networks and some of the technology behind it. And it made them, I think, in some cases, overconfident in what the future looked like. Um, and if you look at what's going on, at least with the price declines that you've seen in, in those digital assets today. Uh, it, it, maybe it's an example of when you're <laughs> those conversations that, that were existing six months ago of, well, this is why things will continue this way because I know this. Uh, it didn't really help anybody and it probably hurt them in some cases um, when it comes to their investment portfolio, at least. But so that's just a recent example. But uh, I think that that's a good one for, for <laughs> a lot of different uh, areas in, in financial markets. Yeah, fund managers, uh, anything in our world. If you, um, you know, I mentioned the the overconfidence could be a killer. I, I think that it plays across the spectrum of of life. It's not just investment world, and I keep equating it to sports or other things. But again, another sport example is, you know, you're the best basketball player out there. You believe, and you do have to be confident that you're going to hit that shot. You know, you're going to make it. And you need that confidence because if you say, "Oh shoot, I'm going to." I'm going to be, I'm going to shoot right on this one. You're probably going to be leaning right. So there's a degree of confidence that you need, but you can't just think in my mind, Hey, that other guy can't guard me. Well, maybe, maybe he can, he or she, right? Maybe uh, I've got to tweak my game uh, to the, to the environment I'm in. Hey, I'm a stock picker and I'm only into growth stocks and that's my realm. And that's what I know. Well, you know what? If that's not the place to be, maybe let's try to be a bit more defensive. It, it, it's not prime time for your area of the market all the time. So yes, you have to be confident, but you have to be aware that maybe it's not the time for you, or you have to be aware of uh, uh, other forces that are pressing on your strategy. 
No, I think that's right. And I think a lot of times, like we were saying, that predicting the future is is hard or, or let's say almost impossible, if not impossible. But a lot of times, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, people can sound like gurus. So you go to a cocktail party and someone may have 10% of their portfolio in cash after a downturn. And they're like, you know, I was in cash. Look, well, technically, that is an accurate statement. No one, I'm not calling them a liar, you know, but that doesn't, what about the other 90%? And, and you know, and is that really relevant or helpful to, uh, to, other, to other people? But uh, uh, so when you put, boil this all down and bring it all together, if nobody knows anything, or let's just say uh, it's hard to consistently know everything uh, and overconfidence can be an issue. That, in a lot of ways, um, led to the rise of indexation. And in particular, uh, people going to, uh, you know, I'm just going to put my money in the S&P 500 and forget about it. And this is, this is a topic that I have a lot of uh, uh, passion and opinions about. But I, I think where I would come out on that is, number one, very few people actually do it. So like the idea that someone's going to take all of their money, because most people I meet that have money in the in the vaunted S&P 500 index also then will tell you, well, I got a couple rental properties over here. I keep a lot in cash. And it's like, well, you're managing your portfolio. You just made an active decision just like everybody else. Uh, and then the and then the sort of second piece to that is, well, what if those 500 stocks do better or worse than the rest of the market stocks, bonds? Otherwise, you're still making an active decision. So in my opinion, I'm curious if you two agree, that is not a panacea. That is not a sort of cure-all for, the, for this issue either. And, and these sort of indexers out there, of which I include us because we do own a lot of indexes, have not just like solved the case blindly by just doing that either. It's an overly simplified uh, kind of thought. Oh, I'll put it in the S&P 500. It'll be fine. And we've talked about there, there's, there's thousands of different indexes. Well, why that one? Because it's been the best. And I remember when I first got into this business, um, international stocks were just the best place to be. So what did everyone choose in their 401k? International stocks. And then what That's happened right. for the next 10 years? They were terrible in, in US stocks. S&P 500 was great. So yeah, looking back 10 years, sure. S&P 500 and call it a day. But what's the next 10 years going to look like? Right. It's, it's the NASDAQ. It's a small caps. Go ahead, Pat. Sorry. Right. No, you're fine. I... Uh, it was just a good, uh, funny that Aaron, you just mentioned that I, in anticipation of uh, of us recording this today, I had looked at to 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 sort of uh, press our our uh, point here about nobody not knowing anything or, or everyone not knowing anything, I should say, and uh, I looked up old articles from the Wall Street Journal around the March two thousand nine time frame, which mm-hmm. cor- correlated with sort of the bottom of the bear market that we saw from the financial crisis. Uh, and this times. article. That I, yeah, tough times. Um, this article that I found from March 25th um, talked about 10 reasons why you should be investing uh, globally and in foreign markets over the next 10 years. And 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 from a diversified portfolio standpoint, we, we I would agree with that too, right? Like you, you want to have diverse, but this is what we're talking about today. But it talks about all these reasons where the U.S. has so much debt. Japan has all these savings. Uh, the dollar is not likely to be strong over the next decade. All the reasons, these reasons that now with hindsight, we're, we're just flat out wrong. And, and in fact, although we had, especially for our, our clients, when I, we still had exposure to foreign markets over the last 12 years since the, that article was written. Um, if you just purely looked at the, the facts, it, the foreign markets have not done well at all the relative to the U.S. over the, that time period. Um, 
So yeah, not specific to to, to the indexing uh, point, but uh, I just thought it was funny because it's a perfect example of if you had followed that advice, yeah, you'd be licking your wounds over the last ten years. <laughs> yep, yep. No, I, there was a lot of talk about that, especially like post the eurozone coming together. Why why Europe was just going to dominate the U.S. It's like I, I mean. I, there are plenty of good things that go on in Europe, but I, but I, from a financial perspective, it, at least with the benefit of hindsight, has not been the case. So when you put all this together, what does work? Uh, what, what you know, what 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 is like? What are positive in your experience? Uh, either one of you that you've uh, picked up that, uh, that that are sort of tried and true and help you navigate these things. I think it's consistency. But not being consistent in just one segment of the market. Consistency and being diversified and being balanced and being disciplined, not being, uh, am I in, am I out? Am I just US? Am I just international? Uh, removing emotion. That's what works. I'd agree. And the only thing I would add is there's some art and science to being a disciplined long-term investor and being successful in that. And it's the science part is knowing some of the data Aaron just mentioned. There's so much information out there that talks, speaks to, I should say, staying invested is the best way to, you know, uh, brave the storm and, 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 and find the premium returns that you get from equities over other asset classes. Um, there's a ton of data I saw one yesterday about, you know, you missed the best five days of the last decade. Yeah. Your, 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 your $10,000 is worth uh, 12 instead of 20, you know, something like that. There's all that, yep. all that data out there. So that's there. So I think knowing some of that data is important and it's a good first step. But then Aaron's point that the, the art of it is how can you, how can you create this disciplined personality to tune out all the other stuff and and really use enough examples or see enough examples of of all the experts not knowing anything that should hope <laughs> help uh, build that personality. So that's the, it's the art and the science. I think you need a little bit of both. You need a little bit of the knowledge and the data and you also need to cultivate that sort of uh, steadfast stoic personality. Totally agree. And I think when you bring that all together and it's a point we make a lot I've made in client meetings, prospective client meetings, which is a lot of what works, in our opinion, is really boring, and it's not a fun conversation. Nor should it be. Uh, you know, the, the, watching uh, sports for entertainment is great, but to Aaron's point, this is your life. This is you know, money will help you buy it, pay, pay for things. So I, I, I do think uh, one of the points I always make is a lot of the financial press, the cocktail party crowd, pundits, portfolio managers, and people in our business. We're, we're not a you know, we're not immune from this. None of us are perfect. But a lot of what's exciting is talking about what Aaron was saying a couple of minutes ago. You're in, you're out. You're you're all U.S. You're all international. Uh, you know, I got in on Apple early. I went all to cash. I'm buying put options. I'm, you know, doing all these things that, that that you hear about that are exciting to talk about. What what is not exciting to talk about at the cocktail party is I worked with my advisor and based on my financial plan, we target roughly seventy percent stocks. The market's down, so I'm down to sixty three. So we're going to do a little bit of buying. But you know what actually works over time? I would argue that. You know, but it's, you know, it, people are usually asleep by the end of the conversation, but it actually is what, what works. So that's what we try to focus on, which is the science of coming up with that, uh, you know, that, that, that discipline, but then the behavioral piece of, of sticking with it. And, and the one thing I'll say about the cocktail party friend, the colleague, the family member, they only tell you about the winners. They don't tell 100%. you about the losers because why would they tell you about the losers? That doesn't make them feel good, look good. 
but hey, I bought I bought Apple in uh, 1998, and I'm up 15,000 percent. They don't tell you about the other <laughs> right. one that went south. Yeah, no, that, that's that, that's right. Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of this stuff is so closely related to what we talked about in episode one, where it's uh, you have to have that stillness and get rid of the ego because it's just like, who cares? Like that's how I feel, and that's where. I think that's part of what we try to help clients cultivate is like, how do you get to that point where you just don't care? You're not interested in those conversations. It's hard. It's so hard because human nature to compete and, and want to engage in those conversations, but goes back to the art and the science. If you can find that sweet spot of, I know this doesn't, I know that this conversation is not helpful for me, or I know that this particular trend is not helpful for me. If I can stick to my guns, I'm good. Yeah. And with that and sticking to discipline, we had promised these podcast episodes would be 15 to 20 minutes. So we're right around 20 now. So we're going to wrap this up here. But just again, to summarize, uh, uh, there's a lot of noise out there, as as, as Pat was just saying, and not all of it's helpful. Uh, And and so I I, I do think uh, it doesn't mean no one knows anything, but it does mean that not everybody knows everything. And it's really hard to consistently predict the future. Uh, Just as far as the Wealth Amplifier podcast goes, stay tuned. We will have more episodes coming up, including uh, in the near future, there are going to be a couple people that we amplify uh, in our network that we know that we think will be uh, interesting uh, brief interviews for for all of you to hear. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, everybody.